0: This is episode 501 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. In the Higher Christian Life podcast, we've been discussing three truths that will literally revolutionize your spiritual life, especially when you attempt to live a sanctified, holy life and find yourself, like most, failing miserably. The first of these truths stated that you're incapable of pleasing God or producing anything good with your flesh. Your sinful nature, no matter how hard you try, cannot be done, has never been done, will never be done by anybody ever. This is the bad news. Truth too, is the good news it reminds us that the Holy Spirit now lives in us. All the power of the Godhead actually resides and dwells and lives in us. And one of His purposes for His Spirit dwelling in us is so, as it says in Philippians 2.13, to will and to do for His good pleasure. In other words, the Holy Spirit now living in us is able to do from Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works, here we go, in us. So that's truth one and truth two. But what about truth three? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. you remember, i have begun this uh, podcast or this uh, teaching on the higher Christian life about four months ago. And for the first, I don't know, 25 or 30 episodes, I sent them out to you almost on a daily basis. And then we took a pause for about a month and a half to, you probably didn't know why we took a pause. We took a pause to be able to assimilate everything that we had learned. The fact is that the stuff was coming out so fast and so direct that sometimes you have to just take a breath and sit back and go, let me try to apply this to our life. And a couple weeks ago, we started it back up again. And what we've been talking about for the last month or so are these absolute and unavoidable three key truths that must be believed and must be experienced for you to really understand the higher Christian life or to elevate your Christian life on a higher plane than it is now because what we do is we limit our relationship with Christ based on what we think. Our mind happens to be the the point that keeps us stagnated. Well, I don't think that's possible. Well, I don't see it that way. Well, I've never experienced that before. And yet the Bible says in Ephesians chapter three that unto him who is able to do, exceedingly, abundantly off the charts more than we can ask or think, even conceive in our mind according to the power that works, remember the rest of that verse, in us, and that power is the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, we did an in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and you know who He really was that lives within us. And a lot of times, we have a tendency of putting on the back shelf or muzzling Him because He seems kind of weird. And if we start focusing on the Holy Spirit, and then, then we're sliding Jesus or sliding the Father. Plus, those people who focus on the Holy Spirit are like loopy, off-the-wall, charismatic people, and we don't want to be like them. So therefore, we're going to neglect the person of the Godhead who lives in us. Jesus isn't promised to bring us gifts. The gifts come from the spirit. The father sitting on his throne, Jesus is on the right hand of the father, but he sent us another helper, another comforter, another paraclete, just like him that will be with us and in us forever. Therefore, Jesus could say in John 14, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. We talked about these three truths that will help us move beyond our failures to live this higher Christian life. If you're like most people, if you're like me, you do really well for a while, things are going well, I'm reading my Bible more, I'm praying more, maybe I'm fasting, maybe I'm helping old ladies cross the street, you know, I'm saying no to some of the things God's convicted me of, and then I blow it, and then something terrible happens. I watch something I shouldn't watch. I lose my temper. I, I gravitate towards the old life, bam. You know, now I'm down here in the doldrums, and I hang around there for a while until I start inching myself up by making vows and resolutions and, and plans that and I want to be more spiritual. And okay, we're kind of, ah, it's back down again. And it's up and down and up and down and two steps forward and three steps back. And the Bible talks about this abundant life in Christ. Most of us don't live that abundant life in Christ. We've tasted of it in these high moments, but we don't live that, so therefore we don't share about the joy that we have in Christ because we're not experiencing it. And we assume that everybody else lives about a 6, 7, or 8 on a scale of 1 to 10, so it's okay for me to live a 6, 7, and 8 on a scale from 1 to 10 because I used to be a 4, and now I'm an 8. Well, that's 100% fold, and so that's pretty good, and I'm okay in lukewarm Laodicea. And if you remember in the seven letters to the seven churches, that is the one area in which we live, the church age in which we live. And that is the kind of life that made Jesus nauseous. In other words, just make a decision to just be one way or the other. I wish you were cold, and then I would understand who you are, or hot. But since you're neither of those, you're just apathetic, and I don't really care. It made him so nauseous he wanted to vomit the church. Out of his mouth. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Of what? Not your heart, the context. I stand outside of the church and knock, hoping the church would open the door and let me in. How do we move beyond that? How do we move beyond our failures? How can we live the overcomer life? And I'm using terminology that was not comfortable for us today, but was just commonplace in the last century in the Philadelphia church age. Truth number one. Now, all of you should know this because all of you read the emails and listen to the podcast, right? If you don't, that's a story, another story for another day. Truth number one. Got to understand this. You are incapable of pleasing God or producing anything good in your flesh because that's your sinful nature. No matter how hard you try, it cannot be done. It has never been done. It will never be done by anybody ever, including you. Well, I made my mind up, and here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this kind of thing. And No, you can't, because it's in your flesh. It's tied up in your DNA, this fallen nature that we have. Paul talked about that all the time. Turn to Romans chapter 7. We'll look at that first. We'll begin in verse 15. Listen to what Paul said. And I would hate to stack my Christian life up against Paul's. But here's what Paul said in verse 15 and following. For what I am doing, I do not understand. I, 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 it, just, it seems crazy to me that I'm acting this way. For what I will to do, what I want to do, what I know is the right thing to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. I mean, Paul, what are you saying? Can't you get hold of your flesh here? The things that I want to do so bad I don't do, and the things that I should have done away with, the things I swore I would never do again, I not only do those things, the word here is I practice them habitually if then i do what i will not to do i agree with the law that it is good convicting me showing me my error but now it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me well paul i thought you were saved i thought you were sanctified i thought you've had these visions where you're carried up into the third heaven and heard things and saw things which is unlawful for any man to speak but sin still dwells in me. How do you know that? Verse 18, for I know that in me, well, in your spirit, Paul? No, he clearly wants us to know what he's talking about. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. It's the apostle Paul. Well, that's not true. Oh, he's a liar. The Holy Spirit's a liar read what it says, in me, and again, Paul, I think, I can't handle, I can't hold a candle to Paul, can you? In me, that's in my flesh, so we clearly understand what he's talking about, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, I want to do good, but how to do good, I can all know. I can't figure it out. It's a mystery to me. I want to do what's good. I know I should do what's good, but I can't figure out how to do that. Jesus dealt with the exact same issue in Romans, uh, John chapter 15, talking about the vine and the branches. Um, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father is the vine keeper. Talks about producing fruit, good fruit, which is all we're supposed to do. And he sums it up in verse number five. Uh, verse number five. It's like this summary verse. I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. He who abides, rests, lives, dwells, makes his home in me. And I abide, dwell, live, make my home in him, bears much fruit, does good. Can't I do good aside of you abiding in me? Can't I do good even if I don't abide in you? No, for without me, you can do nothing. You can't produce anything. In you, nothing dwells good in your flesh. That's truth one. So quit trying, quit striving, Quit getting on that treadmill and working real hard and doing something in the flesh so that you can take credit for it. The higher Christian life, really, the life with Christ is a life of submission, where it's not us doing it and saying, look, Lord, I brought you a sacrifice and an offering. It's it's yielding ourselves so he does it through us. Then he gets all the glory. Truth two, if you remember, The one that is given to you to be able to yield yourself to, for him to be able to live through you is the Holy Spirit. We spent two weeks just talking about what it means to have the Holy Spirit live in you, not next to you or around you or beside you or you go to the tabernacle and meet with him, but to have the Holy Spirit, God himself, this other comforter Jesus talked about in John 14, living in you. You have God in you. And here's what truth two says, that God has given you the Holy Spirit to live in, in you. And because he's in you, you are in Christ. And one of his purposes, we find from Philippians 2.13, is both to do and to will for his good pleasure. He will move in you. He will do what he wants through you. He will create in you the person he wants you to be. And he'll do it for no other reason than the fact that he wants to. It's his good pleasure. Here's the verse. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a passage for another day. Why? Why would you even insert that in here? What are you trying to say about my salvation? For it is God who works in you. To do what? To will and to do whatever he wants. You were called and you were saved and you were redeemed by his good pleasure. He chose you simply because he wanted to, not because you're better than anybody else, smarter than anybody else, or live in a godly country. And I say that in quotes. The fact is he chose you for his good pleasure. So what have I got here? I've got the truth that I can't do nothing in the flesh, but he's given me someone who can do everything. And again, if you haven't listened to them, if you haven't read the emails, go back and just read the ones for the last two weeks. They focus only on what Christ can do in you in the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in you. Think what that means. That's truth One. And that's truth two. One tells us the bad news. Can't do nothing. Truth truth two tells us the good news, but he can do everything, anything that he wants to do, if I will just yield to him. And truth three is the one that brings it all together. It will fly in the face of your logical understanding. It will fly in the face of your experience. It's something that has to be experienced. And by the way, when you do experience it, it changes everything, everything. I've shared with you before the aha moments in my life when I discovered it truths about God. I, you know, I discovered the truth that he is sovereign and that pretty much changed everything. And Psalm 115 verse three became my life verse and still is that God is sovereign. and can do anything he wants. And if I am in him, why am I worrying about anything? I mean, he's in total control. He sees the end from the beginning. He is the one that gives me life. And, and then all of a sudden the scripture opened up and it seems like all I was reading about was about the sovereignty of God. This is one of those aha moments if you will allow yourself to let go of yourself and experience his truth. Everything we're going to look at today, really everything in the Bible, but especially everything we're going to look at today is contingent upon your faith. Satan cannot attack the truth. It's what I'm going to show you in the number of scriptures today. But he certainly will attack your ability to believe the truth. That's your choice. You can either live in defeat or you can live in victory. You can wake up in the morning and go, you know, I feel like a loser. I really must be a loser, so therefore I'm going to act like a loser and respond to people like a loser, and that's just who I am. Or you can wake up in the morning and believe what God says about you, and it changes everything. That's your choice. Your choice is what you decide to make the object of your faith. I'm going to show you scriptures, familiar scriptures, that are going to show truth three is true. It's up to you whether you want to believe it and walk in victory like tens of thousands of people have done before. Maybe hundreds of thousands of people have done before or live in the same doldrums that you lived in yesterday, that you're living in today, and you will probably live in tomorrow. And by the way, if anybody in here is at ten spiritually, if you're closer to the Lord right now than you've ever been, or you're uh, you know, you surpass some previous intimacy with the Lord. If that's who you are, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you. But if you're in here and you're less than what you've been at some particular point in time in your life, then you haven't even reached the level that you've already at one point achieved. Then this is for you. Truth three When Christ was crucified on the cross, We know that he took our sin there and paid the penalty for our sin, but he also took your sin nature. What? Yeah, yeah. He took our sin, what we did, but he also took our sin nature, or as what Paul talks about all, all the time, the old man, the old Steve. He took it to the cross also. Let me define some terms before we move on. Let's define what this old man and new man means. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures from Romans 6, Ephesians 4, and Colossians 3, where Paul uses these phrases about putting off the old man, casting off the sinful nature, and putting on the new man this relationship with the Holy Spirit. The old man refers to your unregenerate human nature or human spirit consisting of your life inherited from Adam, this original sin that if you take, and by the way, if you don't think uh, kids are born in sin, take two toddlers who haven't learned all the stuff we have and put them in a room together and put one toy and watch how they go. No, after you, please. True? We're exactly the same way, it's always been that way. It's life and part of salvation is a regeneration process where our old man is set aside and we're given a new man and then there's a battle that takes place between our flesh and this new man. The things that I wanna do by the new man, I don't do and the things that I don't wanna do, I do. We see that in Romans chapter seven. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus Christ does. The new man refers to the regenerate human spirit, your human spirit, and dwelt now by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the old man is what you were before salvation. The new man is what you should be now. Watch how it's used in Scripture. Romans 6, 5 and 6. For if... We have been united together in the likeness of his death. He's talking about identification with his death through baptism. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man really was crucified with him. Our old nature was crucified with him. That the body of sin in me might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. All right, Romans 6 talks about the old man. By the time Ephesians is written, we're talking about the old man and the new man. But you have not learned so, learned Christ, if or since indeed you have learned him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. And here's the truth that you, you put off concerning your former conduct the way you used to be, the old man the old life, which grows corrupt according to your flesh, according to your deceitful lust. And you be renewed in the spirit, that's a small s, your spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's an old man you were born with and a new man that was created in you when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You dump one and embrace the others. We find it also in Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another. And if you'll look at the passages before that, it talks about all the things you shouldn't and shouldn't do as a believer. Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you have, this is past tense, put off the old man with its deeds, with the stuff that overwhelms us trying to live a righteous life, a sanctified life in him, and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, the image of Christ who created the new man. There's an old man, there's a new man who lives in you. And the problem is, and again, uh, many, many years ago, and I've shared this with many of you, I went to a Neil Anderson Steps to Freedom in Christ conference. I didn't even know who Neil Anderson was. It was a miraculous thing that I actually went. And there he described the battle between the old man and the new man. He says, here's how we view the Christian life, that we... Humans are chained to two powerful forces, far greater than we are. Here is Satan, and he's just massive, much stronger than I am, and he keeps pulling me this way to do the things I shouldn't do. And here's Christ, and he's pulling me over here. I've got the guy in the white hat and a black hat, and they're constantly pulling. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do want to do, I don't. And I'm stuck in this constant state of eternal turmoil pulled between these two irresistible, powerful forces that want dominion over me. What kind of abundant life is that? So I, I muster up my flesh, and I do everything I can to fight against this one. By the, I ask him to help me, but fight against this one by my own will. No, the truth is this, that Satan is already defeated. He's already under Christ's feet and Christ is off the scales, and he's not holding on to me. I am in him. That's the life of an overcomer, victor. But until we get out of our mind this, we never experience this joy that comes with him. So I have some questions. Is the putting off of the old man and putting on the new man a temporary thing? Do I have to do it every day? Do I mess up? Do I, do I make mistakes? Is it constantly, it's like rededicating my life. Every Sunday, the evangelist says, who wants to rededicate their life? And I come to the altar and pray, and therefore I put off the old man and put on the new man. And if that's true, which by the way, it's not, if that's true, then how do I have the power to be able to put off the old man and keep him off? How to put on the new man or embrace the new man who already exists in me and make my life in the spirit and hold on to it forever? How was that done? Or how in the world do I experience victory or the life of an overcomer in the higher Christian life? Remember the truth. When Christ was crucified, I have no problem believing he took with me uh, all my sins. But my experience teaches me that he must not have taken my sin nature away because my sin nature keeps kicking my rear every single day. And so therefore, it, it can't be a failure on my part. It has to be something that he didn't do. And this is where it gets troubling because either path we take sometimes maligns god so go back to romans six let me show you a few things romans chapter six we'll begin in verse number one by the way these are very familiar passages think about them in the light of what we're teaching here what shall we say then should we continue in sin that grace may abound absolutely not How shall we who died, E.D., past tense, live, present tense, any longer in it? What are you saying, Paul? Well, I'm saying that how can we who at one point in time died to sin, how shall we live currently in it any longer? Do you not know? that as many of us who were baptized, who were immersed, who were overwhelmed, who were identified into Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Why? Because at some point in time through We we identify this immersion, this life with Christ. He died, we died. If he was raised, we were raised. If I'm in Christ and I experience what he experienced, and he's raised to a newness of life, and if he's raised to a newness of life, should I not also live in this newness of life? Verse 5. For if, or since, or because... We have been, past tense, united together in the likeness of his death. And he just told us that we were. Certainly, we shall also be united together in the likeness of his resurrection. Well, how is that done? It's simply this. Knowing this, that our old man was, past tense, crucified with him. Our old man was put to death. Why? That the body of sin might be vanquished, destroyed, obliterated, put away with, that we should be no longer slaves of sin. Well, I got that. That makes sense. We continue, verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin, and we have died. Christ has died. We should be free from sin. Now, if or sins or because we died with Christ, We believe, and by the way, this is your choice. You either believe this or you don't. God's word is either true or it's not. It either applies to you or it applies to everybody else better than you. This is up to you to believe. We believe that we shall also live with him. If we died with him, we'll be resurrected and lived with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Why? Because death has no dominion over him. For the death that he died, past tense, he died once for all. But the life that he lives, present tense, he lives to God. And here's the verse. Here's the life-changing verse, Romans 6:11. You've read this verse so many times and probably haven't like I haven't taken the time to see the implications of what it says. Likewise, in the same manner that we just talked about, you, this is personal now, it's no longer doctrine out there about him, it's now about you, you also. In other words, there are other people who have already experienced this. There are others who, who desire what you seek. So just like them, you also reckon yourself. Now here's the word you also impute to yourself, you consider, count, reason, think, you be of the opinion or the conviction that what he's saying about others also applies to you. That it's based on faith, that here's some truth and I'll believe it or I won't believe it. But just like the others, likewise, in the same way you reckon to yourself, To be what? And the word to be here means currently, at this very moment, right now, present tense, dead. Dead. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter what you think. That you, based on the authority of Scripture, you reckon yourself dead truly, indeed, to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Christ died, you died. As Christ was raised, you are raised. Now, you can wake up in the morning and not reckon this to yourself and live just like we've all lived most of our Christian life. Or you can wake up in the morning and go, no, wait a second. Wait a second. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. Not the glorious spirit or the merciful spirit or the graceful spirit or the loving spirit, which he is, but the Holy Spirit and his major attribute is holy, and sanctification, and being set apart, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. And if I yield myself as a bondservant to the Lord Jesus Christ, all these promises will become real to me as I begin to experience them day by day. My mind rejects it because we think in linear well, if that was true, this would happen, but it doesn't happen, so therefore, I don't want to think I'm the problem, so maybe, I don't want to think he's the problem, so maybe none of this is really true. But that's not what he's saying. So if this is true, then what does it look like in real life? What does what this higher Christian life look like? Therefore, based on the fact that you have reckoned yourself dead to sin, but alive to to god therefore you don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust how do i do that you have the holy spirit living in you to do that you let him do that through you because you can't am i the only one here that has made a vow to the lord not to do something and blown it we all have have we not over and over and over again to the point, we get, to the, we get the idea that, well, to be real spiritual, I just won't make any promises to the Lord. I'll just kind of limp on in my spiritual life, not telling anybody I'm a Christian because I don't want to be the hypocrite. Therefore, do not let sin reign into your mortal bodies that you shall obey its lust. And again, you do not present your members as instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but you... This is all on you now, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. To God. How do we do that, though? That's a lot of yous in there. You do this. You do this. As they preach this in New York, yous do this. I mean, how, how do we do that? How can we have the power To do what is right and not wrong how can i say no to the old man and yes to the new man do you remember truth number two truth number two says you let him do it it is him that works in you to work and will for his good pleasure and there's nothing lacking in the holy spirit who lives in you There's nothing he's impotent about. There's nothing he can't do. You have all the power, all the resources of the Godhead in Christ bodily, and then Christ has sent us as an example of him, the Holy Spirit, living in us. You have everything you need to live a victorious Christian life if you will rely and surrender to the power you already have in him. If you don't, nothing changes. How can I live a victorious life? He lives it through you. How? Remember, I can't experience the blessings of the higher Christian life in the flesh. I can't. Truth number one tells us that. It is impossible for me to try to do this on my own. Listen, nobody, I'm going to be bold here, and I'm going to make an arrogant statement. From my vantage point, I don't think anybody in here has tried harder in the flesh than I have. Anybody, and I fail every single time. And what little victories I get, I take pride in, because hey, I was able to do this. I kicked that. I've handled all that, and I'm much better than I used to be. I used to be a, in really black darkness, and now I'm just in a gray area. And I take glory in that. No, it's it's the it's the brilliant light, like where Christ is at. But when I yield to Him and let Him do it through me, it's unbelievable what He can do, what He does do what he empowers to do, and he gets all the glory. I am incapable, so are you, of pleasing God or producing anything good in my flesh, and my sinful nature. I, no matter how hard I try, how long I try, no matter how many fasts I go on, no matter how much scripture I memorize, nothing. It's because it's never been done by anybody ever, including the apostle Paul, ever. And as a matter of fact, if you will study the life of your spiritual heroes, the spiritual people that you put on a plateau and hope someday maybe to have a life like them, every one of them will tell you the exact same thing. The guy came to a point where they couldn't do it on their own and they surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and he changed everything. Everything. All the higher Christian life is experienced through or by faith. God, Satan cannot attack the truths we've looked at, but he certainly can attack your faith. I don't believe it. I don't think it's real. I don't think it'll happen to me. Maybe it'll happen to everybody else who loves Jesus more and hasn't committed the unpardonable sin like we all think we have, but we haven't. So it it, it must be good for somebody else, but not for me because I'm just satisfied self-beating myself, living this subpar Christian life because it's all I deserve. It's all that's my lot in life. God bless others, but I know you won't bless me. Really? Really? We talked about you know, one of the major hurdles you have to, to overcome in your mind is not that God can, we all know He can, but that He will He for you. And the answer is a resounding yes. Romans 8 talks about this. Listen carefully. For if you live according to the flesh, you obey the desires of the old man, you will die. When it's talking in the context here, it's not only talking about physical death, it's talking about experiencing the principle of destruction, experiencing everything in your life being destroyed, experiencing chastisement, experiencing the consequences of your sin, experiencing what none of us want to experience. But if you live by the Spirit, or if by the Spirit, or in the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. Why does it say in the Spirit here? because you can't in the flesh put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's like using something full of corruption to defeat something just as full of, of corruption. You can't do anything good in your flesh. Therefore, it has to be done by the Spirit, through the Spirit, truth number two. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live You'll experience the principle of wholeness, the blessed life, the abundant life. For as many as are led not by the flesh or by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You will find this truth when it becomes alive to you all through scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Galatians 2.20 will all of a sudden become more enlightened to you. I have been, past tense, crucified With Christ it's not something I'm doing currently it's done so since I have been past tense already finished crucified with Christ it means that I no longer live but Christ lives present tense right now today in me what does that mean it means the life which I now present tense live not in the spirit but in the flesh I I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is all based on your faith, on what he tells you is true. So how how do we reckon, using the biblical term? It's really hard to use that term in the South, because every time I hear the word reckon, I picture this guy at a service station in biv overalls going, wow, I reckon so. You know, it's not what it's talking about here. I consider, I apply it to myself. How do I reckon this truth unto myself? It's really simple, really simple. It's already been provided for you. What you need to do is receive it. You bow in his presence and you tell him that you have failed. I've tried to live the Christian life in the flesh and I have royally messed it up. Now, I've had some moments I was pleased about, but they're eclipsed by the moments that I'm horribly ashamed of. Tell him that you recognize and understand truth number one, that anything good that is to come in or through your Christian life, he must do it all. Him. Because he's taking someone who has a fallen nature, infusing it with his spirit and turning it into something different. For you can do nothing. You can't even bear fruit, according to John 15, that brings the Father glory. I can only stay connected to the vine. And as a branch connected to the vine, I don't strive or work or take credit in the fruit that I, that I create because I'm not creating the fruit. The fruit is created by the vine. I'm just blessed enough to bear it, and I'm only allowed to bear it or blessed to bear it if I stay connected to him. But if we do things on our own and don't stay connected to the vine, read this teaching, we are like a branch who's cut off, withered, burned, worth nothing. And our life is only measured, according to John 15, by the fruit. The only purpose we have is bearing his fruit for the Father's glory. And then there has to be a moment of consecration. There has to be a time, not just flippantly or just kind of generally, okay, Lord, if you want me, you can have me. There has to be a time of consecration where you make a decision, you make a vow, you yield yourself to the Lord with everything that you are. You tell the Lord that you give yourself totally to him unconditionally, it doesn't matter what, without reservation, in absolute surrender. And I'm giving myself to you just like I am with all the mess ups that I've done. I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm not trying to make myself more worthy or more holy or more deserving or more righteous. It's just like when you presented yourself to Christ and salvation. I'm coming to you with everything that I am broken tired of self-will, tired of trying to make myself good enough to be able to get into heaven, When I realize I can't. I'm just coming to you and accepting what you've already done to allow my sins to be forgiven. You do exactly the same thing. It's not one of those, hi, Lord, if you want me, if you can use me, you can have me. It doesn't work that way. You're talking to the supreme creator of the universe. And once that happens, just like with salvation, you don't rely on feelings. You basically just let go and let God be God in your life. And then to quote F.B. Meyer, who was a a pastor in the same time as D.L. Moody, he says this, then rise up and go forth from your chamber, not trying to feel filled, but reckoning, believing, trusting that God has kept his word with you and is daring you to believe it. Trust me on this. Try me on this. See if I'm not telling the truth. F.B. Meyer was a pastor, an evangelist. Did many great things. He was visited by uh, two young men who were going to be missionaries who had experienced this higher Christian life, who had experienced this fullness of the gospel. And they sat up with him, and they talked with him all night long, and they asked questions like, why would you not want to experience something more full than what you are experiencing. And F.B. Meyer had all these objections, and I, my life's pretty good, and what, what, what is it going to mean? And I, I don't, I don't want to give control of myself to the Holy Spirit. And it was 7 o'clock in the morning, this is his testimony, 7 o'clock in the morning when they urged him to make a definitive, concrete decision of consecration is what I'm encouraging you to do now. Here's his testimony. It says, "'The visits of Mr. Stanley Smith "'and Mr. Studd to Melbourne Hall "'always marks the epic in my own life. "'Before then, my Christian life "'had been spasmatic and fitful, "'now flaming with enthusiasm. "'I saw in these young men "'that they had something which I had not, "'but which was written them "'a constant source of rest and strength and joy.'" I shall never forget a scene at 7 a.m. in that gray November morn as daylight was flickering into the bedroom. The talk we had was one of the formative influences of my life. Why should I not want what they had done? Why should I not yield my whole nature to God working out day by day that which he will and work within? Remember the Philippians 2 passage. Why should I not be a vessel? Throw on, throw only of earthenware, meat for the master's use, because purged, I've been purged and sanctified. Listen carefully. There was nothing new in what they told me. There has been nothing new in what I have told you. They said, quote, "A man must not only believe in Christ for final salvation, but he must trust him for victory over every sin and for deliverance from every care." Would you agree? They said, quote, the Lord Jesus was willing to abide in my heart to the heart which was wholly yielded to him. Would you agree? They said, quote, if there was something in our lives that made it difficult for us to surrender our whole nature to Christ, yet if we are willing to be made willing to surrender to him, he will make make us not only willing, but glad, they said, quote, directly we give or attempt to give ourselves to him, he takes us. The, v- the verse that Mo quoted today was Romans 12, 1 and 2, correct? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. And that next word acceptable unto God. He accepts your offer. No matter how busted up you are, no matter how stained you are, he accepts your offer and will turn it into something that will bring him glory. He continues, all this was simple enough. I could have said it myself, but they urged me to take the definite step and I shall be ever thankful that they did. And F.B. Meyer's life was radically changed. So what I want you to do before we have our meal together, so we're gonna to take a couple minutes, and I want you, give you an opportunity to take this definite step of total sanctification and surrender to him. And I wanna show you what it's like. For those of you who grew up in church, this was a hymn that was written in 1869. We've sung it so many times. You remember this hymn? This is a hymn that comes from this sanctification. If you will read the story of this, the woman who wrote this hymn, it was right after she experienced the higher Christian life, the the definite step of consecration, she wrote this hymn. Listen to the words. If you want to know what your prayer should be like, it should be just like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, past, present, and future, and let them flow with ceaseless Praise! Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt Choose, last one. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. And take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. We sang this, I sang this growing up probably once a month in church not knowing what it meant. It is a prayer of consecration, a prayer of sanctification. And I don't wanna do you a disservice by just preaching this and letting us go out there where Satan will have his way with us. I wanna give you the opportunity to pray and make a definitive consecrated decision to yield an absolute total surrender everything you are, everything you've been, everything you will be, everything you have or will ever have, to him, to use for his glory, come what may, no matter what. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a few minutes and let you pray, and then we'll close. Let me pray. Father, I have done what I believe you wanted me to do today. Lord, I'm asking you to take these frail words of mine and speak to the hearts of the people that you love. Would you well up in them a a hope, a, a faith, a desire that there is more to this Christian life, there is more to this abundant life you promised than what we are experiencing. This constant battle with sin, this constant defeat when it comes to sin in the flesh but you've already provided the victory and you live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. How glorious is that? Father, I know that you desire the whole heart. You desire our total commitment to you. And I know that we're afraid to do that because maybe we've done it in the past and we've messed up. But Lord, we want to do it today and ask you to take it and as you to live your life through us, ask you to empower our words and our thoughts and our mind, and for us to give everything we are to you. Father, would you speak to those people who are open and willing today, and would you gladly accept their offer of themselves, presented as a living sacrifice to you. And when you make them holy, and Lord, we know they're acceptable. And we're doing this because of the mercy that you've shown us. And I will thank you in Jesus' name.